Thank you for um, being here. Ecclesiastes says that the end of a matter is better than the beginning. So here we are at the end of our three-week stint through Second Peter. Um, so let me open up. Has everybody got a handout? Anybody got one? Okay. So let me open up with a word of prayer and uh, go from there. Uh, Father, thank you for the faith that we've received, for the promises of the gospel, and now for the nature in which we share in your Son, and that it allows us on a day like today to come to this place and declare your praises and to worship you. And uh, we thank you. Thank you now for this time together. We're grateful for your word and that through it you speak to us. And our only prayer is that your spirit would be here uh, in our midst, leading and guiding and directing us into all truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Second Peter, three chapters, 61 verses, nine minutes to read, and two therefores. Two therefores. Remembering. Uh, one of the themes of this little book that I've mentioned each week uh, is that Peter seems to really focus on this thing of remembering. Remembering. Um, last week we looked a lot at chapter 1, in particular verses you know, 1 through uh, 11. And so this week we're going to fly at 30,000 feet and, and finish up Second uh, Peter. Um, quick uh, review, though, before we do uh, get into today's stuff. Uh, it's there before you. But we looked at last week at how Peter wrote to these believers to remind them of the faith that they had received, um, of the promises of the gospel, and that the divine of and then the divine nature, because of the faith they received, because of the promises of the gospel, this divine nature that they have now become sharers in. Okay? So we've looked at those three things. Um, and then he also wrote to encourage them to be diligent. In light of the faith, in light of the promises, uh, he encouraged them to be diligent to add to their faith. Not so that they would be saved. Let's get that clear. Saved by grace, not by works. But to add to their faith so that their faith would be effective and productive. Um, Peter encouraged these people in First in Peter that they would grow. They were babes. And he said, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Uh, and I think this idea of adding, and he lists those qualities there. I, I handed that out and gave definitions. I'm not going to go through them all. But he listed those qualities. I call those qualities of the divine nature that, that, that flow out of our lives as the Spirit lives in us. The, the goodness, the knowledge, the self-control, the perseverance, um, uh, the godliness, the brotherly kindness, and the love. Um, those are manifestations of that divine nature that God allows us to participate in. And then he encouraged them <clears throat> to make their calling and election sure. These people had been chosen by God um, 
and his encouragement to them was to make their calling and election sure. Now we're going to look at that a little bit more this, this week. I'll get there toward the end. So that's, that's enough for the review. But after he had written to these people to remind them and to encourage them, Peter says this in verse 12 through 15. Let me read this. So I will always remind you of these things, of this faith you've received, of the promises of the gospel, and the nature that you share in. I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as you live, as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made it clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. So I will always remind you, and I think it is right to refresh your memory. And so I will make every effort. And it's, it, Peter is really fulfilling that role that Jesus gave him as they walked on the beach and he asked him, do you love me? And he said, well, feed my sheep. Well, do you love me? Well, take care of my lambs or take care of my sheep. And then do you love me? Feed my sheep. And Peter is, is fulfilling his commission. And he's at the end of his life. Within a year of writing this, he dies. Plus or minus, somewhere in that time frame. He dies. And so we see Peter being faithful here um, to take care of Jesus' sheep and to feed his lambs. Now, this week as I was reading and praying and preparing, in, in chapter 1, verse 9, after he's listed these qualities, <clears throat> Peter writes, but if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. And I was thinking about those nearsighted, blind, and forgotten that his past sins have been forgiven. And so what I want to do today is take those three things. That they're kind of written there in a negative sense. And I want to flip-flop them and look at them in a positive sense. And I think it kind of ties this, this brief letter together as we do that. So, remember three things. One, remember that your sins are forgiven. Don't forget that. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That's 1 Peter 3.18. But God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's Romans 5.8. And so our sins have been forgiven if we believe in and have trust in Jesus Christ which is also a, a gift of God, the fact that we even have faith, that we even have a, the ability to believe in God. But the result of that is that our sins are, for, are forgiven. So remember this. Remember this. Um, and then we looked at that vision that Peter received in Acts 10, 
But as he as he preaches to Cornelius and his family, hey Jane, that's okay. How are you? Here you go. We'll give you a little handout today. You're welcome. Um, but as he's preaching to Cornelius and his family, he says, "All the prophets testify about him, Jesus, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name." So if you are a sincere believer and your faith is in Jesus Christ who died on the cross and shed his blood, then your sins are forgiven. And don't forget that. And that's why I've said a couple times, preach the gospel to yourself every day. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I put my trust in you. Okay? So, your sins are forgiven. And so after he goes through this, this whole thing of remember, 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 um, he recounts his experience in, ch- in, in chapter 1, verse 16, of going up on the mountain with Jesus and P- is it Peter, James, and John. Is that right, the big three? They go up on the mountain, and there is where Jesus is transfigured before them. And he recounts what happens on the mountain. And the fact that they were eyewitnesses to the majesty of Jesus. And they heard the voice that came from heaven. And he recounts that experience here in these these verses. And then he says this in verse 19. And, and I think it's because of this vision that he saw of Jesus and all his majesty and all his glory. He says, and we have the word of the prophets made more certain. And you do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Who's the morning star? That's right, Christ. Okay? Until the morning star rises in your hearts. And so, remember the words of the prophets. You're not blind. Because the word is what? A lamp unto our feet and a light unto my path. Psalms 119, 105. And so we are not in a dark place if we have the word of God and we pay attention to it. Okay? And Romans 15, 4. I love this little verse. Romans 15, 4. Paul writes, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we can have hope. Um, one of the things that Peter says in his account of the um, transfiguration in verse 16, he says, We did not follow cleverly invented stories, but we were eyewitnesses of this uh, of this coming of Jesus in all of his glory. And, um, you know, the, be- the beauty of the scripture is that it is a story. It's a story of God's redemption. And there's a... Um, hey, Harold. Good to see you. How are you? You can share with Jane. She's got a little handout there for you. Um, 
Lois, the guy's name Andrew Peterson or Patterson? Peterson. Peterson. There is a, a musician named Andrew Peterson. I don't know if you all have ever heard of him. He does a he has a, a Christmas, you call it a Christmas CD, and he does a concert every Christmas. He travels around, but it's called Behold the Lamb, and it's probably it, I think it's one of the best contemporary uh, Christian music concerts and I've ever heard. It's just unbelievable. But at the beginning of this concert, he reads this little, this little introduction, and it's actually from a children's storybook. But let me let me read this to you because I think it's it ties into this idea of the story. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. The best thing about this story is it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. The story of how God loves his children and he comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell the story. And at the center of the story, I'm taking some liberty here. At the center of the story is Jesus. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in a puzzle. The piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. And suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. And that picture is that God is reconciling the world to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. God is all about taking those who are banished and estranged and bringing them into a relationship with himself, like Joe talked about this morning. And that it's that relationship where we find that deepest satisfaction in our lives. Um, I'm peaking my time. Okay, I'm good. Um, Let me me point you to a couple of passages in Luke. If you got your Bible, flip over to the Gospel of Luke. First one is, is Luke chapter 16. Um, in particular, I'm going to look at 19 through 31. But this, this, is, this is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And um, begins with this rich man who dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. And at his gate sat this poor beggar named Lazarus who longed for the food that fell off his table and the dogs licked his sores. Look at verse 22. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Why is that significant? What, what, what is it about Abraham? We looked at a passage last week. I don't expect you necessarily to remember it, but maybe you would. But Abraham is the father of, of what? Faith. Yeah. And so just as... And, and the gospel was preached to Abraham in the book of Genesis... And it was credited to him as righteousness because he believed. 
And so this, so we can, I think we can conclude that this, 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 this poor beggar, Lazarus, had faith. And when he died, they took him to Abraham's side. Okay? And then the rich man died. I love it. It says he, he was buried. And in hell, where he was in torment, what a contrast. Uh, but anyway, and then he says, you know, send, send Lazarus here to dip his finger in water and, you know, put my tongue out and it's on fire. This is just a place of torment. And Abraham says, well, I can't do that. There's a great chasm between you and me and I, I can't send him there. Well, then he says this in 27. Then I beg you, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Verse 31, he said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone is raised from the dead. So remember the word of the prophets, because they speak to us of who Jesus is and the salvation that he has won for us. And then Luke 24, just a few pages over. This is after Jesus' resurrection. And he comes upon two disciples who are walking on the road to Emmaus. And he says there in verse 25, How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe that all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And then, um, then he then he meets up with the disciples. Um, in verse forty-three, excuse me, forty-five, he says this. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And then Second Peter, just quickly, you can flip over there if you want. I think this is an interesting connection. Second Peter, verse 14. But as for you, this is Paul writing to Peter, his son in the faith. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you've learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So remember the words of the prophets. And Peter says, we have them made more certain, and you do well, you do well 
to pay attention to them. Where was that? Peter? Pardon me? Where was that? Peter? That is that, the, the Timothy passage. Okay. Did I say Peter? Yeah. Well, that's not a shock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <clears throat> um, now, a little bit of warning. All of chapter 2 in Second Peter is a warning that there will be false teachers among them. And I'm not going to dwell long on this. Um, but that's the truth. That, that, um, and he warns them, be on your guard because there are going to be false teachers. And the two things, there's two things that I just want to say about false teachers. And, and the first one is uh, where he says, they follow cleverly invented stories that they have made up. Um, you know, they take this story of the redemption of God and, and they twist it and they pervert it. Okay? Um, and then secondly, and this is from Jude, verse 4, that they take this grace of God and they make it into a license for immorality and they deny Jesus um, our only sovereign and Lord. So... Um, It's real clear in Peter that if you have faith that it manifests itself or should manifest itself in the way you live your life. And we're going to look a little bit at that. But it's very clear as you read Peter, be very diligent to add to your faith. Make your calling and election sure. What kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. Um, And so the grace of God does not give us a license to live any way we choose. Okay? Because because of God's grace, we are now his chosen people. Okay? We are his chosen people. And the purpose for which we are chosen is to declare his praises and to live such good lives among the people that they will give glory to God. And that's our purpose. Okay? Um, So, just beware that there are false teachers. And... Joe told me not to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Thank God for the men and the women of the staff of the Advent. Seriously. You should thank God that these men are committed to the gospel. They're committed to the faithfulness of the word. And so pray for them. Thank God for them, but pray for them that they would continue to be faithful. Um... Because it's a war, it's a battle. So pray for them. Be diligent to pray for them. Um, I want to stop right here. So we're going to pray. Got a little colic right there. Letter F. Everybody's got a copy of that? Got that on your little sheet? Everybody? Julian, get one? Who else needs one? Sorry. Okay. Let's read this call together. Let's pray. Ready? Blessed Lord, who has caused all Holy Scripture to be written for our learning, grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which thou hast given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ.
Amen. Okay? So remember, your sins are forgiven. Remember the words of the prophets. And then lastly, thirdly, remember the day of the Lord will come. You are not nearsighted. Now, I gave a definition of nearsightedness last week, and it went something like this. It's, it's that when, the, when light comes into the eye, and the eye can't process it and focus it correctly, and so you have a difficulty being able to see things that are far away. That's nearsightedness. Okay? And Peter says that if you're nearsighted, then you're running the risk of your faith not being effective and productive. And what I'm saying is, if we remember that the day of the Lord will come, then we won't be nearsighted. Um, chapter 3 of Second Peter. Uh, where am I here? Verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So why is the Lord patient in coming again? So that people repent. Yeah. We, we may not have been sitting in this room had the Lord not been patient. Or be in this church. Or whatever. So, don't forget this one thing. The Lord is patient. Okay? But then he says in verse 10, But, but, The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything will be laid bare. I think Peter's pretty emphatic. He's pretty strong. This is going to happen. Jesus is going to come like a, like a thief. And since that's the case... He says, since you're looking forward to this, and I trust we all are, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. That's verse 14. Um, I had this verse, this Titus 2, 11 and uh, through 14 passage on the last week's Hannah, but I wanted to refer back to it again. Um, because it says that um, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present world while we wait for the blessed hope. And what's the blessed hope? the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. So as we're waiting 
for this blessed hope, this glorious appearing, we should live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present world. Now, in this life, which Peter calls a, a pilgrimage in, in 1 Peter, um, as a friend of mine says, sometimes la- life slaps us twice. Um, life can be difficult. And in 1 Peter, he speaks to them about the suffering that they're enduring. So even though they were believers and faith in Jesus Christ, chosen people, um, life can be hard. And we all know that. We all know about that life. But there's a quote here. Um, I read this recently from a little devotional that I'm reading, um, Streams in the Desert. Um, it didn't give a, an author or whoever it was from. Um, but I, I can't take claim for it. I, I wish I could. But the quote is this, Jesus Christ is not my security from the storms of life. But he is my perfect security in the storm. He has never promised me an easy passage, only a safe arrival. Only a safe arrival. So that future in this great story of redemption that God is speaking of throughout the whole Bible, the end is is certain. And that's where he's taking us, to be with him. Um, He promised me a safe arrival. Um, I'm not going to make this mistake again, Britton. I just looked at my clock and it says 40. I got 10 minutes. I got 10 minutes. I'm good. Um, there's another little quote there that's by George Mueller. I need to tell you a little story about this. This, again, is from Streams in the Desert. But evidently, he was on a, a ship traveling across the Atlantic, and he had an appointment in Canada. And uh, they weren't making very good progress. And so he went to the captain, and he said, Look, I, I've got to be in Canada by such and such a day, and I never have missed an appointment. And the captain said, well, I'm doing the best I can. we got this fog. And he says, well, let's go pray. <coughs> so he and the captain go, and they pray, and Mueller prays. And um, the captain kind of starts to pray, and Mueller stops him and says, no, don't pray. You don't believe? You know, I got this. And they get up after prayer, and they open the door, and they walk out, and the fog's gone. And he makes it to his appointment on time. But this is, this is the quote that he, that he says to the captain about the conditions. My eye is not on the, the dense fog, but on the living God who controls every circumstance of my life. And life can get a little foggy sometimes, can't it? Okay. Life can get foggy. Um... But if we, if we remember the end, that Jesus is coming back. And if we know the scriptures, 
that God is in control of every circumstance of my life, then I can, I can forge my way through the fog because I know he's with me. Okay? Um, real quickly, I'm just, I had this as a side note for me. I didn't put it on the outline. But this whole idea of Jesus' return, I think, is, is really a stabilizing truth. In John 16, Jesus um, has just finished this pretty long discourse with the disciples. And he says, I told you all these things so that you won't go astray. And so I backtracked a little bit and I came back to John 14, where he starts this, I believe, where he starts this discourse of all these things that he's telling them that he won't go astray. But the very first thing that he tells them at the beginning of this discourse, which is amazing to me, I, I think, in John 14... He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, I would not have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am and you know the way to the place where I'm going. I think it's interesting that he starts with the end game, the end. You know, that's what he, that's, that's the very, he starts with the end and he says, I'm telling you all these things so you don't go astray. Keep looking. Don't be nearsighted. Be clear about the future. Okay? Be clear about the future. All right. Two therefores. So here we have all this truth that Peter has written to these believers. And there's two therefores in the whole book. And last week I wrote this down in the notes and I've given it to you again. This is from Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says, Therefore is a conjunction which leads us on and points us to the life we are to live in light of the truth being considered. Therefore, is a conjunction which leads us on and points us to the life we are to live in light of the truth being considered. And so, in light of the truth being considered here, that we are, we've received the faith, we have the promises of the gospel, we participate in the divine nature. In, in, in chapter 1, verse 10, Peter says, Make your calling and election sure. And we looked at two things last week. One was like scales. Okay? You've got truth. Okay, all this truth. And to make your calling election sure is that you bring your life into balance with the truth. Understand the truth, and the truth impacts the way you live your life. And that's what we prayed this morning for our bishop. That he would set, how's it go? That he would set forth your lively word by his doctrine and his life. Something like that. Alright? That's what he's talking about. Okay? That our doctrine and our life match, okay? And then it also has this idea of, of, of clothing. We talked about that last week. But we've been arrayed in a robe of righteousness. We've been clothed with garments of salvation because of faith in Christ, okay? So if, if that's what we're wearing, then that's the way we should live. I mean... We shouldn't wear clothes that clash. Now, Dennis, uh, no, you're okay. 
usually do. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't my wife yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. That's right. Of course, we're all a little afraid around here. With you know, you might run into Frank and he'll check you out. You know, so you got what you know. Right, Harold? Am I right? That's exactly right. You know, if you don't know Frank, he was in the retail clothing business for how long, Harold? You know, three generations, wasn't it? Three generations. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, he, I, I don't, he can't help himself. But anyway, um, but that's right. If you get a compliment, you're doing good. So anyway. Um, Bless his heart. Bless his heart. He just can't help himself. Uh, yeah, he might walk up to you and just start touching your jacket or something like that. And that happened. Um, anyway. Um, so clothe yourself with clothing that doesn't clash. You know, that's what we make sure of every day when we get dressed. That what we're wearing kind of matches, looks good, you know, just consistent. So live a life that's consistent with how you've been clothed. Okay? Um... This is the, the prayer of general thanksgiving is, is, is three. We prayed it this morning. And I didn't list the whole thing this week. But, you know, part of our purpose is being chosen by God of being clothed with garments of salvation is that we show forth His praise not only with our lips but in our lives by giving up ourselves to Thy service and by walking before Thee in holiness and righteousness all our days. That should be our prayer. Okay? And then the second, yes, Dennis, yes, I'm saying? I'm sorry. Um, and the second, therefore, therefore be on your guard because of the potential for false teachers, the potential to be nearsighted. Be on your guard and watch. Be on your guard. And then lastly, he finishes, but grow in the grace and knowledge. I'm sorry, I wrote no. Getting a little late there. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our faith is not to be something that is stagnant. But we are to continue to grow in our faith. And I wrote this little passage from Joshua 13 because I read this a little while back. And, you know, I'm 58. I'm on the last third of my life. And I'm okay with that. You know, and if God is gracious, he may give me 20 years, 25. I don't know. But I, I pray that those last years, whatever they may be, may be effective and productive for him. And I thought this was an interesting passage when I read it. Um, it says, when Joshua was old and well advanced in years, the Lord said to him, you are very old. How encouraging would that be? <laughs> How encouraging is that? <laughs> you are very old. And there are still large areas of land to be taken over. He still had work to do. God didn't throw him under the bus. But he said, you're my man. But the thing that I thought about, there are still large portions of my heart and my life that Jesus needs to possess. And that's true for all of us in this room. And that's growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that submission to Him, that allowing Him to just have control and take possessions of our lives. And that's a process that will continue until the day we die.
and my family is here today, all but one, and they can testify that there are still large portions of my heart <laughs> that need to be taken over. So don't you tell them. Um, but that's part of what God is doing in our hearts and lives. I think I'm out of time. I made it. I made it. Thank you. Um, any comments? Any questions? We're going to pray this last colic together before we leave today, okay? Got it written down there. That's going to be our closing prayer. But before we do, any questions? Anything? Everybody okay? Charlie, you got the gold star, buddy. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, let's pray this colic together, okay? Almighty and eternal God, so draw our hearts to you. So guide our minds, so fill our imaginations, so control our wills, that we may be wholly yours, utterly dedicated unto you. And then use us, we pray you, as you will, and always to your glory and the welfare of your people, through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.